You're listening to Shep Life with 1FM's Terry Cowley. Good morning, Darren. Hello, Terry. Tell us why you chose Buddy Holly's Rave On. Uh, my father, Bruce, um, wore glasses from a very, very young age. Um, mum played Mario Lanza and uh, alternated with Elvis Presley when I was younger. Um, but uh, Dad was a big Buddy Holly fan and uh, he was tall and gangly. He wore the same Buddy Holly glasses um, from his teen years uh, until he died. And, uh, yeah, so, you know... Happy memories of Dad. Ha- happy memories. His glasses did come in handy for him. He couldn't sing, couldn't play musical instruments. But <laughs> when, he, when he got drafted um, for... Uh, uh, he um, for national service he uh, didn't wear his glasses to the eye test and he went in and the um, the uh, staffer said um, can you just read the first line on that chart and dad said what chart so <laughs> he he could have what just national service or was it actually to go no, to go fight no, or no it was national service okay was, so he was, so he got dad, out of it dad was born in 38 so so it was right. late 50s so. got out of it then mm. lucky for him so you were born in melbourne but the family traveled uh, to various parts of regional victoria mainly because your dad was a newspaper man so bar barham am i saying that right is barham. it ba- barham okay mm. barham Kerrang, swan hill um, that would have been a fun childhood out there in the boonies. Yeah, I think my only memory of Barham um, was being left outside one summer's evening um, in my playpen and um, uh, getting attacked by mosquitoes to mm-hmm. the point where... <laughs> That's a right of, right of passage. I, I almost had to go to hospital. Really? <laughs> Mum left me out there a bit too long. Um, Kerrang I have, I have some memories of, but, but pretty much... Um, I was not quite four when we moved to Swan Hill, so so Swan Hill's where I did all my schooling and all my growing up, and um, and you know I still consider it home. Mm-hmm. I thought you'd say Shepparton was home, Darren. Well, it is. Yeah. it has been for a couple of homes, you know, sixteen years. So yeah. Um, yeah, look, I think you know home is home is where you are, but you you still have. Yeah, you know, long and deep roots back into where you grew up, and yeah, I've been to a couple of reunions. One as recently as um, two years ago, and uh, and it's fantastic. You walk into the room, and it's it's like you're all sixteen again. So, how many siblings did you have? Just the three. So I've got an older sister who's in Shepparton, Debbie, and uh, a younger sister Janet who's in Mildura, mm-hmm. and. Um, and a younger brother. We're all two years apart, so at one stage we were 2468, which Dad thought was a great joke. But what are you now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, Eldest what, to what, youngest? Yeah, eldest to youngest. Oh, Deb's, Deb's the eldest, and uh, I'm two years behind her. Janet's two years behind me, and Matthew's, have, have Matthew's any, four years behind Have any me. of you cracked the big 6 yet? Uh, yes. <laughs> just, yes, maybe. Yes, just, just about. So that's coming up. Uh, no, hang on, I've got to get this right. So, next year. I okay. Think, so. so, growing up in Swan Hill, you got your first job though at a newspaper in Mildura. Um, yeah, it that was would a, have been an experience. It, you could call it a newspaper. It was a newspaper. <laughs> we did put out a we we put out a newspaper. Um, it was called the Mildura Independent Star. It was printing on a press that had been abandoned by the old Turak Times um, <laughs> because it was so old and 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 had it. Um, I walked in the first day and Max Thorburn, who who had started it, Max was a former Chief of Staff, 
at the Sunraysia Daily. So he'd essentially left his employer, done a few other things, and then decided to start a paper in opposition to them. Um, and it wasn't being done on a, a big budget. I'm not <laughs> it was a very small budget. I, wa- I walked in and I said, um, "Okay, so I'm a journalist, Max. What do I do?" And he said. Uh, well, I do the front half and you do the back half, so go, <laughs> go find me a back page lead. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, you, you had to be sort of a jack-of-all-trades, didn't you? But it was uh, these, these sorts of jobs were great in schooling you to, you know, learn so much. Well, yeah. I mean, the two best bits of advice that Max gave me, one, one was journalism is 10% writing and 90% common sense. So, um, And what he was getting at there... and and I, I've reflected on it numerous times over the years um, in different situations, is if it doesn't feel right in your gut, if you've got a nagging worry about it, it probably isn't right, so don't do it. Um, the, other, the other bit of advice he gave me was learn everybody's job. Um, and learning everybody's job was a good thing. Um, so, you know, I would, I would do darkroom stuff and um, make the plates for the printing press and then go around and help put them on and then, um, you know, end up taking papers off the end of the press and bundling them up. So, um, so all the way through you learn everybody's job and I think Max's point with that, with that was in an industry that, um, and at the time I think there was about 17% unemployment, so... Um, the more valuable you are, the more things you can do, the more irreplaceable you are. Although we've become so, you know, we've become a bunch of specialists these days, really, haven't we? Yeah, well, being transient, you know, being transient is is just part of people's working lives now. Yep. And, you know, most, I know a lot, a lot of young people, and I know it through my kids that, you know, you, every two years you've got to look at the opportunity to change and and or, not and maybe into a completely different industry. Yeah, yeah. And and I've I've thought a, a few times about should I try something else? Should I do something? Yeah, me else? too. Me but, too. Uh, I mean, any journalist would because we we hardly got any jobs anymore. No, that's right. And and you think, well, how am I going to? How, what would I do? Yeah, what am I going to do? Exactly, um, that's the question. And when you've been doing it for so long, so I've been doing mm. it for thirty-seven years. Yeah. So I know um, that change is hard. Change is hard. Um, I'd kind of like to do some other stuff, but I, I try yeah. and do that a little bit through community stuff. And yeah, well, look, look get involved this, in different things. Look, we're sitting here right now, aren't we? Southern Cross TV, uh, a career in newspaper led to TV, uh, and then Channel was, Seven, Channel Nine, yeah, all, all sorts a, of big it things. It was almost a bit accidental, really. Um, I mean, I was, I was the right person in the right place at the right time, which doesn't happen all that often. Um, so I had, you know. 18 months experience and and um, you know, I was capable um, I'd never done TV never even thought about TV job came up, dad rang me up and let me know about it, I happened to be in Swan Hill as their bureau chief <laughs> it was my first job in a bureau in a, chief of how many people? not quite a foreign bureau but uh, no, myself and a cameraman and, uh, and, a, and a sales guy and a receptionist um, but uh, so really, I think I got the job one one because I had some um, experience already, but but primarily um, because I was local and I'd settle in easier. I'd stay there longer. I'd, and that's often a problem in regional areas with uh, huh, with yeah. employing people revolving door, yeah. getting them to stay. Mm. And you found it sometimes a challenge reporting on your own community like that. Yeah, it can be. Yeah, and but also it was a time of my life. So I was twenty years old. And I'm 20 years old and I'm, 
you know, um, you know, covering things like the arrest of um, one of the Russell Street bombers in a mm. local motel and that sort of stuff. So, you you know, you you're kind of at the pointy end of life, and you see a different side to your own. To the town to you grew up in as yeah. well. Probably not always positive. Yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> not unusual for um, you know for emergency services and and uh, first responders. But um, yeah, as a twenty year old, it it did open my eyes to a lot of things that went on in the community that I really had no concept of. Um, you know, you might have known that these things happened, but you had no experience of it. Um, and then, you know, simple things like, uh, you know, having a beer after work on a Friday night in the commercial hotel, um, and you'd wander in and, you know, the local police inspector and the magistrate and um, the town clerk would call you over and want to have a beer with you, um, while all your mates you went to school with are all up the other end of the bar and, um, you know, doing what 20-year-olds do at a pub on a Friday night. So... Yeah, yeah, I've learnt fairly quickly that you can't um, you, you can't turn off. Mm, and, not in a town of that size. And no, and and so you know, being a journalist in a town has a responsibility, but it also um, it also means you've got to be available to people, which is and, a lot for a twenty-year-old. Yeah, yeah, I, I adapted to it pretty well, but um, yeah, you've got to you you really do need to stay engaged all the time and I've, yep. I've found with journalism that you know you don't switch off mm. because you're always interested there's always stories to be told mm. we might pause there for a minute darren um we're going to play your next song that you've chosen it's beatles love me do why uh this is my auntie trish so my mother's sister and uh trish um oh she she uh, uh blossomed into a, a young woman in the um, in the 60s and uh, uh, so much so that she embraced the whole 60s lifestyle and ended up living at Fernie Creek and getting married in a caftan and, um, <laughs> along with her husband Rob um, and uh, we've shared over the years a great musical bond Is she um, still living? Yes, we both love oh, Trish. We both love music and um, and you know she'll point out new things to me and I'll point out new things to her and this is what I'm listening to but when it comes to comparing things you know those discussions you have where you you say well what was the first concert you went to well I'll, I'll start with her third concert so her third concert was Bob Dylan and Bob Dylan changed her life so she ended up being like the worldwide secretary of the Bob Dylan Society and and you know she's met Bob and all that sort of stuff um, her second concert was the Rolling Stones and her first concert was the Beatles at Festival Hall. Now, uh, you can't match that. No, no, I wouldn't try. So I always lose that. That's the one yes. musical argument I always lose with her. Yes, fair enough. And why Love Me Do? Um, oh, sentimental, family. Yep. Are you it's a, all about love. Are you a romantic? Um, my wife would say not often <laughs> enough, <laughs> as you would know. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, sometimes. But, yeah. It's all about love in the end, isn't I'm, I'm it? Without cynical, love, what do we have? I'm a cynical romantic. Yeah, maybe I am too, but, you know, at the end of the day, if you don't have love, what do you have? Yeah. So on that note, uh, we'll go over to the Beatles and we'll have some sponsors announcement and we'll talk to Darren on the other side. That was Russell Morris with Sweet, Sweet Love. We're continuing our backstory segment with Darren Linton. Why did you choose Sweet, Sweet Love, Darren? Uh Back in Mildura, so so early 80s, so great time for Australian music 
And, just um, a great time. Just a great time, really. <laughs> um, but the great thing about being in Mildura was the Bridge Hotel in, in Mildura was like a waypoint for bands travelling between Adelaide and Sydney. And so midweek um, they'd play a gig in Mildura um, and there were probably, there were, well, there were two um, venues in town and, you know, bands like The Saints and, and Russell Morris and The Angels and Australian Crawl, all those bands all came through. And I was writing some review stuff for the paper, so I generally get to meet them and sit down and have a chat with them, have dinner. Um, and you met some great people. But Russell Morris, I mean, I think he's just a, one of the greatest singers um, Australia's ever produced. And um, Molly Meldrum, who I, I used to work with, um, produced his biggest hit, The Real Thing. Um, and uh, and Molly, to- Molly, I, I heard, I read only a week or so ago, um, oh, I was a discussion on radio, I think, and they were relating the story that, that uh, Michael Gadinsky had been asked once um, from Mushroom Records why more of Russell's songs hadn't been covered by other people and made them hits overseas. And his response was, nobody else can sing them. They're just uh, really difficult vocally. Yeah, yeah. Mm. He's uh, and and look, he's still going, still playing. Stood I've, the I've, test of time, yeah, that's for sure. Him, um, only a couple of years ago, so mm. um, yeah, he's terrific. Anyway, we have to keep get back to your story because we will never have enough time to get through it all. I'm sure. Now, t- you know, you, you talked about Southern Cross TV in uh, Mildura. Um, this led to uh, the Metro commercial stations. You got married. You had three children. This is, we're really fast-forwarding here. We are fast-forwarding. Fill in some of the gaps there. We'll skip right over Hinch. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> a couple of years at Hinch. Actually, I, 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 um, I had, a, I had a, a blue, not with, not with Darren, but with, um, with the senior producer over, over a, a story, and uh, he reckoned I had something wrong, and I said I didn't, and in the end I just went in and said, I'm pulling the pin. I walked out that day. But uh, I see Darren every now and again. We're still friends, still still get on all right. Um, he was actually a, a good guy to work for. But, um, uh, yeah, and then working in working in television. So, um, yeah, um, it's a tough gig. Um, it's it's hasn't got any easier with all the technology and everything else. It's, uh, it's a pretty tough gig. And, and um, to be good at it, you've got to be switched on all the time. You've got to be available all the time. Um, you you have a bag packed, um, sitting so not, by your uh, desk, and so probably a single person's game. It is a very much a single person's game, and um, which you know led to one of the biggest regrets in my life, and one of the most difficult periods, which was a breakdown of a marriage, and particularly with with three young kids. So, um, you know, works works always been important, and works always been, I guess, what has shaped my identity and. Um, and so, but it's not everything. But it's yeah, it's not everything. But it took me a long time to realise that, and unfortunately, it was um, it was too late at that time. But um, so typically, when that folded, <laughs> I, I, I threw, worked I, even I, more. I, I threw myself into more work. Yeah. Um, which you know, uh, after nine eleven, um, I got sent to uh, sent to the states and um, spent about three four months. Uh, working in the states after 9/11 and through the start of the war in Afghanistan, um, 
came back to um, Seven in Melbourne and then um, within a few weeks got offered the, um, the job in London as the European Bureau Chief or European Correspondent. And, uh, so how long were you in London? Oh, three years. So, yeah, it was a pretty busy time with, um, with uh, you know, terror stuff and Iraq war and um, all sorts of other things. And you so, covered the Iraq war? Yeah, went there. Um, oh, was away for about five five months, nearly six months, um, in one stint. Um, and at this time, uh, you had a di- another partner. Yes, and um, you left her. Well, we got married in, in London, London, and I left <laughs> her in London. And um, uh, we we were going to catch up, and this is you know probably a good example of how things happen. We 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 were going to catch up because we hadn't seen each other for for months, um, and Seven had paid for her airfare to Dubai and accommodation and champagne and whatever else <laughs> and um, uh, about oh, I think Nicole was nearly on the way to the airport um, when I got a call from uh, uh, from the military bosses in uh, Australian, Australian uh, Defence in, um, in I was in Kuwait at that stage and they said if you can get to X point by in two hours' time, um, there'll be a helicopter waiting and we'll get you out to um, one of the Navy frigates in the Gulf. I went, well, well, let's go. <laughs> and rang Nick and said, look, I know you're coming over, but um, I've I got to do this. I might be three or four days, but I'll get to Dubai anyway. No, she pulled the pin on it. She, she still kept going to Heathrow, but she went to Florence instead. <laughs> Fair enough. So... Tell us about that time when you were with uh, US Central Command in Qatar. Uh, this was this was prior to the war, so there was a bit going on. There were Australian forces that had already um, gone into parts of Iraq, um, but the formal sort of invasion, the the big sort of media opportunity, uh, was yet to happen. And there would be briefings every day in Central Command. Um, so, four-star general Tommy Franks, who who. Uh, was the was the commander um, for the uh, for the operation, um, and nothing ever came out of them. We'd go in, we'd get fed, you know, not much. Um, bit of propaganda. Bit of propaganda, and um, and we were really keen to talk to the Australians. Um, they were there in the same base, and um, they wanted to talk to us. But they kept saying, "Well, the Americans put the kibosh on it. No one's." No one's allowed to talk. And after after a few days of this, we 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 were jack of it. So uh, myself and uh, it happened quite spontaneously after a briefing, and Tommy Franks is leaving the briefing and wandering down the corridor, and a few of uh, the Aussie uh, Rat Pack um, ambushed him, <laughs> and uh, it got quite heated. And we you know we were saying you know, and he and he wasn't giving any ground, and um, somehow I came up with the line. I said. I know John Howard signed us up to the Coalition of the Willing, but I don't believe he gave away our sovereignty. And must have hit home. It must have hit home because a couple of hours later, uh, we were summoned into a different compound and uh, given a briefing by the Australians, much to the um, disgust of the rest of the international media who were watching through a barbed wire fence. Do you remember <laughs> anything about that? What came out in that briefing? Was it illuminating? Uh, it wasn't so much illuminating, but it was an opportunity for us to... Um, so, 
one of the important things when you're overseas is is you're not just covering the story, you're covering the story for viewers back home and Australian yes. audience. Mm. And because the Australian military is involved and it was controversial and for all those reasons... Um, it's that visibility, I suppose. That visibility, well. that, mm. that opportunity to find out what they're doing, to, to ask our, questions. To our taxpayers' money, to after hold, all. To, to hold them accountable. Yeah. Um, and they were willing to do it. Yeah. So, yeah, look, it was... I mean, but, I, yeah, I think, you know, that's the sort of thing you... Uh, in journalism, um, you you somehow you do things you ordinarily would never do. Absolutely, like, um, you put you yourself know, outside of yourself, don't you? Yeah, yeah. You're sort of standing up a four-star general who's um, you know in charge of the um, you know in daily contact with the president of the United States and is is running a huge military machine. Is, journalism um, does unusual. give you incredible access to things at times you, you wow you just really have to yeah it does um i don't you know i kind of reflect on some of those but i think being being there is is um is okay um and it's important that you know you witness these events um but not all of them leave you um feeling good that's for sure. Uh, and some of them you carry for a, a very long time. Mm. Um, some of them you, you never um, let go of. Um, I'm not crazily mixed up or anything, but, um, you know, I've seen some stuff that I'd prefer I never yeah. did see. But then, you know, some of the... I, I, I think the thing I... I've always enjoyed TV because it was so collaborative and you had a group of people working with you. Um, and you'd work with others and... And and in in a war zone, it's quite collegiate. So uh, everybody's looking out for each other, and everybody, you know, somebody somebody goes missing, or they went on a four hour excursion into Iraq and didn't come back, um, as, as happened yes. on one occasion. Um, people would know. And then you have, you know, I remember um, Colin Brazier, who's a presenter on Sky News in the UK, and um, and Colin had never covered a war either, and. Um, you know, we're sitting around um, chatting about it, and uh, you know, so we we came up with the name of Operation Certain Death um, for uh, for the plans to send crews into Iraq. I mean, um, optimistic. Optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> Might be a, a good uh, note to pause on. Now we did mention um, Nicole, uh, your now wife. Uh, you left her in London, didn't you? I left her in London, but then I um, I. I I did return eventually, and yes. uh, and and in the meantime, she'd organised a wedding, so that was all good. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> hope she asked you first. So we got married at Berg House, which is uh, which is a wonderful old mansion on um, on the heath. It was it was terrific. And uh, you chose the Waves, which are Australian Australian band, aren't they? Are they? Yeah, they yeah. are. Yeah, so we're uh, a West Australian band. Okay. Um, with the song London still. Yeah. Which, um, so this came out while we were in London, and uh, I, and um, I had it on fairly high rotation in the car, and, and it would make Nicole cry because oh. she's from a big family. Mm. She's got uh, she's got more siblings than you can count on one hand, um, and and she was missing them. And she was missing because them. she was in London still. So you've just told me that Justin Towns Earl's Steve Earl's son. Steve Earle's son. Okay. Um, and I've been a fan of Steve Earle his whole career. He's a he's a he's a terrific artist. Um, troubled soul, and I tend to be attracted to troubled souls. So, um, 
so Steve Earle wasn't around for Justin's childhood, um, which, uh, but certainly he got his father's musical gifts. Sadly, um, he died this week. Justin. Uh, Justin, not Steve. Not Steve, mm. age 38. Mm. Uh, I, mean, I saw him in Melbourne last year and uh, he was just engaging, but that show was was 12 months late from when it was well, I originally bought the ticket So right. uh, because he had to get rushed back into rehab. So mm. and he talked to taking Harold when he was 12 for the Jeez. first time. Um, and led a troubled life. And, and the Towns in Towns Earl is his godfather who was um, Towns Van Zandt is another... Fabulous artist, I'm very fond of, but also um, alcoholism and a very troubled life and an early death and great musical pedigree, uh, but a tragic end. Yeah, it's often the case. Um, yes, but it makes them really interesting people. Mm. So um, I guess we better bring the story. You know, we're we're going to be finishing up soon. Uh, Eleven, the twelve o'clock news rather is coming up faster than I would like. Um, now you end up after all that overseas experience, getting your mug on the telly. You end up in old Shep at the Shepparton News. So is there something full circle about that? There is something full circle about that. <laughs> um, it made sense to me. It didn't seem to make sense to a lot of other people. Um, you're still storytelling. Well, yeah. When I mean, when, you, when you, um, your resume has the last job uh, as European Bureau Chief... <laughs> um, uh, applying but, but, for a job at the Shepparton News is um, probably fairly unusual. But, but that would have been at a time of great industry change too. Oh, not so much. Yeah, not so much that. But it was it was probably just a period of change for me, and and that selfishness we sort of talked about earlier earlier on. Um, I didn't really want to go back into that. So um, time to focus on family. When we arrived back in Australia, having been made redundant because they closed the office, so you know we were told during the war, don't worry about what you spend. Um, budgets don't matter. Um, eventually, a year, la- a year, la- a year later, <laughs> budgets really mattered, yeah. and they closed the closed the office and made me redundant. So, um, th- that was an opportunity to to make a significant change. And while I didn't make a career change, I I did make a lifestyle change. And um, Nicole and I were expecting our first child, and um, yeah, we decided um, country life would be uh, good to go back to. So, so that was one of the reasons for coming to Shepparton. Um, I'm not sure um, <laughs> Joe Breen, who interviewed me, um, really quite believed it until it sunk in, a, you know, might have sunk in a couple of hours later and she actually contacted me before I headed back to Melbourne um, where I was staying temporarily So, and offered me the job. So, And then it took a while to convince a number of people around town. Um, that you were fair dinkum? <laughs> well, I think, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, I expect that they thought... Um, you know, it was such a significant change that there must be some deep, dark secret about me. But there wasn't. Um, but there wasn't. So you were there for many years and you're very well known um, well, I'm still in that there. space. Well, you were in the, for that publication mm. for many years and now you edit Fee- Field and Game magazine. Yeah, Field and Game magazine. A couple of external magazines. say that, Field and Game. Just an external magazine. So that McPherson Media... Um, produce along with a membership yep. organisation, um, and it's part of that finding you know revenue streams for um, for traditional legacy media. Um, it's you know we're, all legacy media is going through a difficult transition. Some are, some are doing it much harder than others. Um, local news though is is always important, um, and I've always said news is relevant to the audience. 
um, that you're giving it to. So, yeah, you might cover well, wars news. and everything else. <laughs> um, and they have some relevance to people in Shepparton, but what really has relevance to people in Shepparton is stories about their own community. Bring it back to 2020. It's been a pretty shocking year for most people. Mm. It hasn't been a great year for you. You've had to reflect on the importance of self-care. Yeah, yeah, and this happened late last year, and I... I um, uh, probably one of the most difficult things I've ever done given how successful I've been um, and the longevity I've had in my career and I've always prided myself on on my productivity and my ability. Um, I had to admit that I wasn't coping terribly well with um, the workload I had and, uh, and the demands that were being placed on me. Um, and that was a difficult thing to do. Firstly, to, to, tell admit my, it. to admit it to my wife and then my doctor and and then to my employer but everyone's been fantastic it's been uh, i took a few months off so i had long service leave and i took a I took some a couple of months off and but we um, we all um say this oh you have to look after yourself and seek help but actually doing it uh for ourselves can be confronting and even just recognizing it um you know it's probably easier for people externally to recognize it or people that know you well but I, I didn't recognise it until it got to the point where it was actually affecting my health mm. um, and making it really difficult for me to front up to work. So, yeah, I, I, my message to people is... Seek help. Seek it's help. there. Yeah. Yep. Get it early, get it often. We're going to finish off with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers with I Won't Back Down, and maybe that's appropriate, Darren, for you. Well, you know, it's one of the things you've got to do in journalism sometimes. You've got to be... You've got to be fierce and you've got to, uh, you've got to take on issues and take on people and sometimes people you know and like. Um, the truth is important. Journalism is important. So What do they say? The don't truth, back the, down. What do they say? The truth is out there? The, the, the <laughs> truth is out there. It's been a real pleasure to have you on, Darren. Um, I look forward to seeing what you do in the future and um, all the very best with wherever life takes you. Thanks, Terry. You've been listening to the Shep Life Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on SoundCloud. Find it on the 1FM Facebook page or search Shep Life Group on Facebook. Once approved, you'll be kept up to date with links to future shows. If you'd like to hear the show live, you can tune in to 98.5 on your radio or stream through fm985.com.au or the TuneIn app on your Android or iOS device. Friday mornings from 9am to midday.